Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Today is Wednesday, June the 30th, 2021, and we're continuing our study of the big book of alcoholics in the chapter, How It Works, on page 68, the first paragraph. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. Today's readers are the 12 steps, Kim T., 12 Traditions, Lindsay W., and readers of the text, Lisa H., Nancy C., and Susan H. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, June the 29th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 17246, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 17247. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Kim T. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. This is Kim T. in Northern Michigan. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me serve, and I pass. Thank you, Kim T., And Lindsay W. will read the 12 traditions. Please go ahead, Lindsay. 
Hi, good morning, Lynn. Thanks. This is Lindsay W., a compulsive overeater in Houston, Texas. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Lindsay W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in the chapter, How It Works, on page 68, the first paragraph. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. So, Lisa H., would you read for us, please? Thank you, Lynn. Good morning, my fellows. Lisa H. here, recovered in Tennessee. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper. Even though we had no resentment in connection with them, we asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Well, I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, Certainly, this is powerful stuff that we are, are 
uh, talking about. And, you know, this is sort of the second portion of this, you know, um, uncovering, discovering, and discarding um, in the process of the four steps. And interestingly enough, I didn't think, I didn't think I had a lot of fears. Um, but what I came to find out by doing this, um, doing this work was that everything for me was, um, was um, underneath everything was fear. Um, fear that I'd get found out, fear I wasn't good enough, you know, that fear I wasn't pretty enough, smart enough. Um, and, and also fear that I wasn't going to get this, that I wasn't going to get what I heard on the line. Um, you know, and again, what was, what was that? That fear was in the future. That was my um, projecting the outcome. Um, I, I looked at the definition of fear, and it is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that something is likely to cause pain, right? And so it is an unpleasant emotion. I think that most of us have experienced it. Um, and if I'm in fear, I'm in the future. You know, I'm projecting the outcome. I was always good at um, projecting the outcome and not, and not, living, uh, not living in today. Um, this idea of self-reliance and self-confidence um, was perpetuated in my growing up by my families in, in to me in our culture and our society in school. Um, all this about self and self-confidence and you can do it and I should be able to do it. Um, and I, and, and I didn't have that. Um, I lived in this uncomfortable, that's all I can, it's the best way for me to describe is this uncomfortable place um, until I sat down and did this work. And I can remember sitting down and just saying, God, just show me what needs to be here in the fear. Um, and so the beauty of doing this work uh, is that today I don't have to live in that future place of fear. Um, you know, certainly I'm going to have fear um, uh, often enough. But if I can go back to the source, right, if I can go back to my higher power and try to live in today, right, to let go of what's in the past, right, to let go of what might be in the future and live right here in today, um, then I, then there's much less, um, right, there's much less mental gymnastics around um, what might that, you know, what might that outcome be, right? I can do the next right step um, with, with the help of my higher power, with the help of this fellowship. I can be rigorously honest about what this fear looks like in my life, but I don't, but the beauty of it is in a recovered state. Now I don't have to, I don't live there anymore. Um, I can try the best I can to live in today to do the next right thing and let God take care of the outcome. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lisa H. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day so that others may share their experience too. So if you shared Monday or Tuesday, please step back and let others have their turn. And please, say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Lawson. Dara L. Jaren K. This is Larry K. Charlotte, North Carolina. <clears throat> Okay, let me tell you who I heard in all of that, okay? I heard Katie G, 
Dara L, Larry K, and Carmela G. I know I missed a lot of people. Can you say your name again, please, for me? Karen K. Susan H. Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, I've got. Thank you. Okay, I have our lineup now. Karen K. Katie G. Dara L. Larry K. Carmela G. Susan H. And Sheena Y. And apologies to whoever I missed. I'll pick you up on the next round. Karen K., would you start us off, please? Followed by Katie G. Good morning. My name is Karen K., recovered compulsive eater from Syracuse, New York. I know for me, I was driven by a lot of fears. You know, I know we've probably already heard them before in the past, false evidence appearing real, face everything and recover, and I'm sure there's probably a lot of those around and it was really important when I did my four step to look at my fears. I personally, from my experience and my recovery, that was my main root character defect was running on fear. It wasn't so much self-seeking, dishonest and frightened. Um, It's always been fear for me and I had to be very clear when I did that four step um, you know, of course, it was all about me. I didn't want to lose my abstinence. Uh, you know, I'm afraid of the future, you know, blah, 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 you know. And and some people get that today when they do their fears with me, and and they see them melt away. When I have my relationship with the God of my understanding, my fears melt away. I must, must for me, I'm just speaking for myself, I must put my higher power first have my higher power hold my hand and take me through the day. It's so important to list every fear. I don't care if you are afraid of you're going to get um, a hair on your chin when you get older. It's very, very important to say everything about being fair. And, you know, um, confidence has nothing to do with this. That's another facade that's preventing me from saying the truth. Um, and then when I, and then that facade it makes me feel, you know, cocky and self-assured, which blocks me from the sunlight of the spirit. As long as I keep God as a center, the God of my truth, it, are my feet going, what I'm believing and what I'm saying? Am I being honest? And then I'm able to turn and look at my fears, get some light on it, and in the process of being recovered, I'm discovering more and more fears. And it's not all about me. With that, I will pass. And thank you. Lynn, press star one, please. <clears throat> Hi, this is Katie G. Lynn, are you there? Okay, Ramona, I'm going to go ahead. Can I be heard? Yes. Yep, go ahead, Katie. Okay. Oh, good, Lynn. There you are. Okay, perfect. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G. Recovered in Boston. Um, You know, for me, I never had any selfish, self-centeredness, dishonesty, unless I had a fear. So I don't really think of them as separate. So what I think about is, like, 
yesterday I was texting with my husband and I had a fear, right, that, that he didn't love me. And so because I have, and it's not just fear, it's self-centered fear, which, which is very different. It means that anything going into me, I'm like, well, what's going to happen to me? Well, what about me? So for me, the biggest part of this inventory was saying, okay, it, like even if it's my daughter dying, but what is, what's going to happen to me? If my daughter dies, what's going to happen to me? That's who I am at the core. And so yesterday I'm te texting with Hubs and I had a fear that he didn't love me enough. And so his emoji wasn't good enough for me. I had to do a 10 step on the emoji versus saying I love you. And this is who I am at my core. Now, I'm not as bad as I used to be. You know, I used to be completely like when I did this part of the work, I was devastated because I saw that I had never made one decision that wasn't based entirely on fear. I got a job because I didn't think I could meet a, meet somebody to get married to. I um, kept going to the same job. I got fired four different times. Like, I'm not angry without fear. Like, I have no, that, like, everything comes from fear is what, is what I have to just keep saying. And the other thing is fears are not that complicated. So one of the things that I've learned is um, my self-centered fear keeps going to something. So it's not like I'm afraid that, um, you know, on Tuesday, some Susie Smith is going to gossip about me. What does it mean if she's gossiping about me? Well, it means that she doesn't like me. Okay, who cares? What if she doesn't like me? Well, I'm going to be rejected. Okay, so you're going to be rejected. Then what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to be alone and I'm going to die. The other thing I wanted to share is a lot of times I hear in the rooms where there's fear, there is no faith. I completely cannot disagree with that statement more. My entire journey in 12-step recovery has been about feeling my fear, taking a deep breath, and separating the truth from the false, right? Because right now in this moment, there is no gun to my head and I'm safe. I, I could tell you I have fears, but right now in this moment, today with my feet on the ground speaking on the Vision for You meeting, I am safe. And so what this program is teaching me how to do is get out of relying on self because when I rely on me, I run the show and I plow and that fear manifests itself as selfishness, self-centeredness and dishonesty. And that's where I am at the core. And thanks be to God, today, I don't have to live that way. And miracles beyond miracles, the things that I've done, I'm just going to wrap up, Lynn, the things that I've done with God, begging him to hold my hand when I was afraid, and I did it anyway. Holy smokes, this program works without a test. Thank you, Katie G. And Dara L., it's your turn, followed by Larry K. Good morning, Dara. Oh, great. Thank you so much for your service. Um, I'm Dara L. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, I was thinking about how my wiring, I'm wired to fear the things that won't kill me. Like, right, like fear of rejection, fear of having my feelings hurt, fear of, you know, my self-image taking a hit. What are other people going to think of me, right? But then I'm wired to not fear the things that will kill me. Like, binging and purging 12 times a day, starving myself, right? Like having unprotected sex with strangers, all the things that I do um, when I'm in active addiction. And, and, and so knowing that about myself, it doesn't, it doesn't strip me of those fears, you know? And I love what was shared before me. Like I, um, 
you know, I'm terrified right now because um, tomorrow I have to have a conversation with someone and they might not like me because of the truth that I, you know, that, that God is telling me to tell. And, um, and that's so hard for someone like me, right? Like who just at the core, my biggest fear is that people who love me are going to leave me or die and that I'm broken and unlovable and that there's something wrong with me. And so to sort of do what God wants me to do, regardless of outcomes, regardless of consequences, regardless of how other people feel, is, is so scary, you know. But for me, that's a testament to my faith. Like, if I weren't, if I'm not afraid, I don't have to have faith. Like, I'm just, there's no fear. So I just kind of like do stuff and life happens and it's fine. But that bone deep terror that I have, that I'm wired to have about things that are like, pretty innocuous and there aren't really going to be big consequences. Um, the fact that I'm wired in that way and then I get to sort of put my hand in God and walk forward and do, you know, what is in line with my values, but also, you know, in a more important light, what's, what's in line with God's vision for my life and who God crafted me to be and, and is calling me to be every single day. You know, it is, it, recovery is not comfortable, but the disease, you know, I, I wasn't really scared, you know, I wasn't really scared that I was killing myself. And today I would rather be scared, but be in life, you know, and be showing up for things in ways that I've never had to, like, everything is new, and I'm not wired for this stuff. And that's okay. And, um, you know, and that that makes me available for miracles every single day, like I experience in recovery, I experience miracles, if I'm looking for them. And, and luckily, you know, my fears are an invitation today to let God in, you know, in the form of 10 steps, in the form of prayer, in the form of, you know, doing what God tells me to do. And then looking back and being like, oh my gosh, I didn't die. You know, like I didn't, you know, I wasn't stoned to death. Like this is awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for a program that tells me, it, it doesn't eradicate my fears. Um, that's my timer, but it tells me what to do when the fears come up. And for me, they come up probably every day. So uh, with that, I'll pass. And thanks so much. Thank you, Dara L. Larry Kay, it's your turn, followed by Carmela G. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Lynn. Thanks so much for your service. I appreciate it. You know, I, I want to talk about self-reliance. I remember, brings me back about three, over three decades ago, I was, uh, I was a young, younger man, and I was, boy, fear was just my constant companion, and I in fact, the, the only time that I didn't have fear was when I was sleeping, when I was eating. Occasionally, I remember this. It's kind of funny. When I was on the, the, the baseball field for some reason, those, those three. But eating, that, that did it for me. That could, for a few minutes, it got rid of my fear. And then I found the answer, self-reliance. And I remember reading an, uh, an essay, it was assigned by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oddly enough, it was published, well, it was t entitled Self-Reliance. Oh, there was my answer, boy. And it was published nearly 100 years before the big book was published by this guy. And, and he's, he's, uh, he's a treasure, I mean, Ralph Waldo Emerson. But he, but he did talk about what stuck out with me is, is that he said that uh, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. And I love that prose. And so I set about trying to give myself peace. 
and I would find my peace. I would, through rugged individualism, nonconformity, he talked about nonconformity, and you do it. And I didn't find that peace, and I didn't find any serenity. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. You know, I just don't agree with that today. Of myself, I am nothing. With the power greater than myself, my fears get placed in their proper context. My fears, I still have them, but I'm not embroiled by my fears today. For me, death, you know, death, spiritual, emotional, physical death is the price of self-reliance when it's pushed to the point of it's the only way of life, the only purpose, where the world has no existence apart from the all-sufficient self. And, and, you know, the thing is that today I know that in this context, in this program context, I am no longer a prisoner of my fears. I have fears like you do. I'm not a prisoner of my fears today. I have, I am not self-reliant. I place my trust in an infinite power greater than Larry. That's the only way that I could live today. And then, and only then through this step process, then do the fears begin to dissipate and they're put in their proper context. So grateful for this program. Thanks, Lynn. With that, I pass. Thank you, Larry. And Carmela G., it's your turn, followed by Susan H. Welcome, Carmela. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you, everyone on the line this morning. My name is Carmela G., and I'm a grateful, recovered for today, compulsive overeater. Fear. I'm a woman of disease. I'm a woman that nothing, I can never get enough of anything. I always want more, more and more and more. And I was driven when I was in disease. Prior to working the steps, my family, my friends, especially my family, would say, I love you. My response, love is a verb. Show it. The fear I had of total abandonment by everyone including my higher power, that I was going to be solely alone and I had to survive on my own. Forced me, that fear drove me to react to everything in life unfavorably. I looked at it as being self-sufficient. I looked at it as being successful woman of confidence was all a lie, a lie. And I thought I was an honest, caring person. But that was fear. And when I, I'll never forget when I made my amends early, early on, many years ago, my first amends to one of my young men in my life, my great nephew, and I made the amends for my behavior because every time he said he loved me, I would tell him, you're lying. You don't. Show it, show it, show it. And my reaction and my behavior to him was cruel. And I said to him, I 
promise you that I have changed and my behavior will no longer be like that. I was driven by fear. And his response was not a soft, gentle response. His response was real. He said, you made your fear. I had to pay the price for your fear, and it was your problem, and you made it mine. And that was the truth. That is what, that is how I lived. Today, today, I have the gift of giving all my fears to my higher power that loves me perfectly. And I walk peacefully in my relationship with all. Most times is loving and kind and accepting and knowing that I have all the love I'm ever going to need from a power greater than myself. And with that, I pass and wish you a beautiful day. Thank you, Carmela G. Susan H., it's your turn, followed by Sina Y. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, and thank you. This is Susan H. in Ohio, a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. And what came to me was that all roads lead to Rome, and all my disturbances seem to lead me to fear, self-centered fear. I, I, I find my mind racing about, how can I fix this? How can I control it? How can I protect me? And it dawns on me. Again, humility returns. I'm relying on my power, and my power is none at all. I can choose now to rely on my infinite higher power. What a relief to rely on the unwavering love, especially when my mind has been tortured by that self-centered fear for a little while. Um, Do I trust him? I do. He has my back. He has shown me that again and again. I don't have I don't have the plan and I don't have the power to execute my plan either. He does. He knows now. And I can rest in acceptance that whatever is going on is absolutely as it should be. Ah, it is such a relief to let go of that racing mind and remind myself I don't have to fix it, and I couldn't even if I had to. I go back to trusting and relying. And uh, it's a wonderful realization every time. Although, yes, humility returns, and that does pinch a little bit. Again, you're still in this place? Well, I am still human, and I will continue to be human. So I'm just so grateful to get the opportunity and a reason to look at this again as I'll be looking at it for the rest of my natural life. And I'm grateful for a place to discuss it with my fellows who have some understanding of just how insidious and repetitive this is. So yeah, that's all I have to talk about and I'm grateful for a chance to share. I pass. Thank you, Susan H. And Sheena Y., it's your turn. Good morning, Sheena. Good morning. It's Sheena Y. from England. I'm recovered one day at a time. Um, For me, when I think about fear, the first thing that comes to mind is how 
I didn't even realize I had so many fears when I first started out in program. Food always took me away from my fears. So instead of acknowledging the fact that I had all these fears, I kind of just ate myself away through them. And I really kind of felt like I was a person who had everything down pat. I was sorted out. I didn't have fears of anything. I was invincible. And then slowly but surely, as I um, started to recover and I started to put down the food, I realized how my life was so totally controlled by all the fears and how I was really incapable of getting from one place to another um, because of all my fears I was so bound by by them and um, I had to learn to accept these fears and that's what writing them down um, did for me that's what the fourth step was for me because when I wrote them down it was a part of accepting that I am a person with these fears and that I'm driven by these fears so like I'm so desperate for validation and approval. All these things were coming from the fear of not being good enough, the fear of not being perfect, the fear of, of, not, of not making myself proud of myself. And as I learned to write them down and accept them, I also realized that so as long as I'm doing it for me, I will always have these fears. So as long as I'm living life and doing the things that I do for myself, I'm going to be disappointed and I'm going to be filled with fears because I expect myself to be perfect and do things perfectly, but my higher power doesn't expect that of me. So when I give my life over to my higher power and allow him to control my life and I do each action for him and for his sake, then all of a sudden it's okay because God doesn't need me to talk perfectly on the line. God doesn't need me to to do anything perfectly. He just needs me to try my best. And when I'm living for my higher power and trying my best, then I don't need to have any fear because whatever turns out is the way exactly my higher power wants it to be. Um, so for me, living with fears is accepting my fears and then giving them over saying, I'm not doing this for myself, I'm doing this for God. And when I truly believe that and I truly do things for God and not for myself, that's when my fears seem to dissipate and, and go away. And yeah, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sheena. Why? Just a reminder for those of us who may have come on the line a little bit later this morning, we are continuing our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter, How It Works. And we're on page 68, the first paragraph. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day so that others may share their experience too. So if you share it on Monday or Tuesday, please step back and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Jessie Jane. Janet B. Brenda C. Okay, there were two people right at the beginning. Who I heard was Janet B. and Linda C., but there were two other people. Could you repeat your name for me, please? Chuck K. I think that was Brenda C. with a B. Marcia D. Okay, so right now I have Chuck. Thank you. I have Chuck K., Marcia C., Janet B., Linda C. Who did I miss? Kathy J. 
Anyone else? No? Okay, we'll go with this lineup then. I have Chuck K, Marcia C, Janet B, Linda C, and Kathy J. Good morning, Chuck. Hey, good morning. This is Chuck from Georgia. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, this part of the big book was really important and special to me. I am a person who is six foot four. I was pushing 400, 420 pounds. When you're that size, you know, when you look like a football player and you go in a room, everybody gets out of your way. When you look somebody in the eyes, they look away. I've been told I'm intimidating. I've been, you know, I've been told all of these things. And there, there's kind of a pride in that. Uh, something goes on over time where you, where you don't see things, I guess, like, a, a more normal sized person, not that I'm really abnormal, but, but anyway. Um, so when I went to do my first fourth step five years ago, I tried to get away with saying that there, I'm not afraid of anything. And I would say, well, you know, I'll walk anywhere at any time of the night. I don't care. You know, people will say, we can't even get our arms around you. What are we going to do with you? And then this person, it was, it was a woman. She guided me through uh, the step work, using the step work as a guide to, to find my fears and going back over that with me. It was such a wonderful awareness because it answered a lot of the problems that I had in life, and it was, it was fear. And I remember when I got done with the inventory, I thought, good Lord, my life is riddled with fear. I heard it said earlier, almost every decision I make is based out of fear. I couldn't believe it. Um, now I have the awareness of it, and I have choices I can make, and I can choose to have faith in the higher power that shows up for me every single day, that loves me the way I am, and I can begin to learn to trust that higher power through whatever circumstance comes my way. I don't have to choose fear. So the awareness of that fear, you can't fix something or you can't get help with something if you don't even know it's a problem. And I think that was the first big awareness that I had, that that I went from someone who didn't think they had any fear to someone who's realized his whole life is riddled with fear. Down to the core, to the part where I, I didn't even see it. I couldn't even understand it. I didn't even know it was there. Now, my daughters tell me they can't put their arms around me. They couldn't do that five years ago. What a beautiful, wonderful expression of step work. When your daughters give you a hug and they say they can put their arms around you, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, they've grown a little, but I have shrunk a little too. And that's that's just the real power of the step work. So I'm glad for this awareness. I'm glad, glad that I have a group of people that I can share with without any fear and just be the person that I am. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chuck K. Marsha C., it's your turn, followed by Janet B. Welcome, Marsha. Well, thank you. Good morning. This is Marsha D. in Ohio, 
and I am so grateful to be here, newly recovered. And uh, I, too, didn't realize when they talk about listing fears how many fears I had. I was clear I had resentment, but I wasn't clear I had fear. And I guess what I feel led to share today is just um, as a person who is newly recovered and just having gone through um, the steps and, and, and will continue the rest of my life to go through the steps, um, you know, how much uh, fear actually propelled me. Um, I started my day today, a lovely woman took a 10th step from me on fear, and I was able to share with her. And it was wonderful because she validated in the situation I was describing that it's normal to have some fear, um, that fear uh, can absolutely be motivational, and it was appropriate. And while I know feelings are always valid, sometimes I discount them for myself. So it was it was helpful, and it was very true. Everything my sponsor asked me to do, I just resolved to set aside what I thought I knew. I'm not new to OA. I came in in college in the 80s, but I'm new to vision. And I decided I just need to put that aside, and I had to face fear head on. And I only was able to do this with my higher powers, Grace, because it's scary to call all of you and say, hey, I'm Marcia, I'm new, tell me about yourself. Um, and it's it's scary to be vulnerable and to share an inventory and, and to share my own experience and strength and hope now. So um, I guess like when we take an inventory, we look not only at the negatives, we look at the assets. With fear, I'm trying today to also look at, okay, what's what's the valid part of the, the asset of fear. And um, it's, it's served me well because I have to do the things I need to do to support my daily recovery <clears throat> and to be useful to all of you today. And it requires me facing some very strong fear. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, everyone, for being there, and have a great day. Thank you, Margaret D. Janet C., it's your turn, followed by Linda C. Please go ahead, Janet. Good morning. This is Janet B., recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia in New Jersey. Um, so when I used to do my fear inventories, they, it, they would be on this form, and it would say, why did I have us, did self-reliance fail me? And it would be, you would check and move on. And then someone showed me a better way of saying, why did we have them? And it was to really drill down. And that helped me so much. So, for example, when my daughter was 16, I was afraid to discipline her. So I said, so I drilled down. I'm afraid to discipline my daughter because if I do, then when she turns 18, she'll leave my house and never talk to me again. If she leaves my house and never talks to me again, then when I'm an old lady and my husband and son are dead, now mind you, neither of them are sick, when they're dead, I will be all alone on holidays. If I'm all alone on holidays, I will be miserable. And then I realized I was not disciplining her in the present to take out an insurance policy for 25 years from now so that I wouldn't be alone on Thanksgiving. And I said, that is selfish. And then what would God have me do? Well, of course, he would have me discipline my daughter appropriately. Ask him to remove the fear, discipline her appropriately. My daughter turns 20 right now. She left on vacation to 
Florida a few days ago, and she wanted me to come with her. How crazy is that? A 20-year-old wanting her mom to join her on vacation. But that is a wonderful result of working this program. If I do as I think God would have me and humbly rely on him, he gives me serenity even in the midst of calamity. What a wonderful, gorgeous program this is. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Janet B. Linda C., it's your turn, followed by Kathy J. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. I think it was Brenda C. Uh, <laughs> uh, good okay, morning. So are you Linda or Brenda? I'm Brenda. Okay, Brenda C., please go ahead. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, I um, this, this topic I just kind of wanted to share on because uh, that was uh, these fears. Wow, they can really dominate and control our lives, and they can take us back to food and all kinds of other addictions. Um, when we begin to put them on paper, I guess what I wanted to talk about this morning is when I put them on paper. I was I was afraid to put them on paper, and um, one of the fears that I had um, was I had a I'm a product of the '50s. And uh, I had a, a, a terrible fear of white people. And, um, I, you know, even with my sponsor, I was afraid to tell her you know, because I liked her. Um, but um, anyways, when they said fearless and, uh, fearless and thorough from the very start, when the big book says that, I, I took that to heart. And, I, and so I put it on paper, you know, and um, – what my sponsor began to talk to me about is the fact that the reason that I was so that I was fearful of it is because it had never been surrendered, and the fact that it kept coming back up and and God kept putting people in my face, white people in my face that were good and and honest and 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 trustworthy and he kept putting them in my face because he did not want me to go through life with that fear. So once I learned, once I surrendered it and, and actually spoke it out loud, it did, it, it began to dissipate. And now, it, I mean, I'm, I'm a different person today because of that. I, I don't have the twitch in my, in my forehead when I talk to people and I don't, um, you know, distrust people. I have friends, you know, all races, but it's only as a result of being fearless and thorough with this fear part of the inventory. And on that, I'll pass. Thank you, Brenda C. Kathy J., it's your turn. Good morning, Kathy. Hi, I'm Kathy J., and recovered compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I heard a lot of really good things so far and with the reading, you know, for me, what I've learned recently after being in the recovery for a long time is that fear isn't any of this other crap, okay? Fear is just a message from our bodies put in there instinctually by God to protect us or give us a message. It's just a message. And in 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 the disease, at 217, I was afraid people were judging me because they were. And I was afraid my doctor would tell me to lose weight because he should. Okay, so it's my obsession 
Yeah, I had to go back to step one. I can't get to step 10 when I'm in fear. Step 10 is thinking. And thinking differently is important. And changing my thinking is important because in step one, I'm powerless over whatever's happening to me at the moment. And I need to feel that fear. So what does that fear feel like? Well, it's tension. It's holding my breath. It's being paralyzed, unable to do something. It's thinking, 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 control other people so I don't have to um, be scared. All that crap is, is step two, which is I'm insane emotionally. That's what Bill W. said. I not only was mentally insane, I was physically insane. So 10 step helps me change my thinking and get a perspective. Um, but the fear is going to remain there until I, uh, till I actually physically do something. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do the tools, okay? I have to take a positive action. I have to get out of my thinking, call somebody, pray about it, read literature, um, do, make a plan of action. Okay, I'm scared my husband thinks or my, my friend thinks. You know, none of that, um, that's all got to be action based and when i'm physically avoiding fear then i'm unable to act i'm paralyzed i'm tense i'm restless irritable discontent so what is good what is the calm relaxed at ease what does all that stuff look like and other people can help me the you know i have to take an action i have to feel that and, and I'm so accumulated. When it accumulates, it creates the tension that will lead to the bite. So that's why it's so good we have this recovery because we can um, actually take an action. And I heard baseball. Go, go, go play ball. Go out for a walk. Uh, my, my sponsor told me, go out and make a snowman. I'm like, what? You know, I'm uncomfortable. I got to talk about this. She's like, no, you don't. You need to go out and make a snowman. <laughs> do something different. Change how you're thinking by getting other people. Do what they say. I'm scared. Say to somebody, I'm scared instead of for me to be aggressively reacting by trying to control their behavior. That's where I went wrong. It was in my thinking. So in step three, I go, okay, God, I made this mess. I don't know what this now means. I don't know why I feel this way, but please just remove it. Give me the insight to know what to actually do and the willingness to get out of my body once I feel Fine, it and then do something. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Kathy J. We have time for two more shares. Who would like that time, please? Nancy L. from Georgia. Anyone else? Warren N. from New York. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Nancy, please go ahead. Thank you for giving me time to share. Um, I want to address a fear that I have, um, and 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 I'm grateful for it. I have a fear of this word, cocky. I can get so cocky with lots of different things. I've been successful with things, and I can get real cocky about that. Um, I have been successful with my abstinence, but I get real cocky of that. And every time... I get cocky, I go down, I fall. 
And so my fear of getting cocky is a fear that I don't want to discard. I want it to be a healthy fear because it's a gift. It's a gift from God for me. And so today, yeah, some of my fears are irrational. And God helps me to deal with those. But this one, this fear of becoming a cocky person about my self-reliance is a fear that I don't want to discard. I want to value it. I want to listen to it. I want to um, appreciate it. I do not want to be cocky. And and when I read that, when it makes us cocky, it gets worse. And I thought, yes, yes, yes. That is so true. When I get cocky, everything in my life gets worse. So I thank you. I thank I thank God for my fear today. And I pray that any cockiness, he would remove that. Thank you for letting me share, and thank you for your service here today. I will pass. Thank you, Nancy L. And Lauren, and it's your turn. Please go ahead, Lauren. Thank you very much, Lynn. Lauren N. from New York, compulsive overeater, sugar addict. Fear is the place where my disease lives. When I live in fear, which I've done all my, almost all my life, I don't see that I am limiting myself by not living and by holding on to my obsession. That's where it used to be. It used to be in my... Um, in my obsession now i i'm i've learned how to give it to god and to hold on to this program and to sorry hold on to everything you guys have taught me to do to remember that i'm not alone and i'm not able to do it on my own thank god i have found this way of living because today I, for the majority of the time, don't let fear stop me anymore. I'm still fearful of certain things, and I'm praying and I'm working on, with a sponsor, how to get rid of those fears and how to let go of them. I'm a different person today than I was many years ago and yesterday because I get to live in the sunlight of the spirit. And with that, I pass and I'm open. Uh, I pass. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lauren N. And thank you to everyone who shared. And thank you to our wonderful Wednesday workforce that carried our meeting through June, Kim T, Lindsay W., Lisa H., Nancy Sue, Susan H., Devorah S., and Sandy W. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164. 
followed by the serenity prayer. And somewhere in here, I'm supposed to say what the share ID for today is, and I forgot. So the share ID for this morning's meeting is 17256. So uh, Nancy C., will you please read Vision for us? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, fellow travelers. Nancy C., recovered compulsive reader in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we own, we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.